You had a cesarean section with your first baby, and now you're pregnant again. Should you plan for another operation or try for a vaginal birth after cesarean, also known as VBAC? I'm Dr. Kelly Harkey. I'm the medical director of the Women's and Newborns Caroline at Scripps Health. We're here today to talk about what factors you should consider when making this important decision for you and your baby. This is Preggy Powell's episode 25. Um, is that a plus sign? Pink or blue? Hospital or home birth? What type of food should I be eating? I think I just peed myself. I'm pregnant and I have to exercise. What pregnancy glow? Wait, was that a contraction? (laughs) Gotta make these pants fit. I've got cankles. What do you mean there's more than one? You've got the symptoms and now you've got the support you need for a happy nine months. This is Preggy Pals, your pregnancy, your way. Welcome to Preggy Pals, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. I'm your host, Sunny Galt. Have you joined the Preggy Pals Club? This exclusive membership gives you access to all of our archived episodes, written transcripts of the shows, plus some bonus interviews. Have you ever wondered what happens after our interviews are over? Well, we are keeping the mics open for another five minutes after the show. Again, this is only for our members, and you can access all this great information through the web or through our Preggy Pals app. Visit our website, preggypals.com, for more information. All right, let's introduce the panelists that are here in the studio. And Christine, let's start with you this morning. Sure. Uh, So I'm Christine Stewart-Fitzgerald. I'm uh, 40 years old (laughs) and another, soon to be 41. (laughs) (laughs) How quickly? Um, In another two weeks. Oh, geez. And you're due tomorrow. I'm due tomorrow. So um, I think this this is going to be another girl. I have two girls, um, twin girls, that are now three years old. Do you know for sure what you're having? It it looks like, unless there's a major surprise, it looks like it's going to be number three. Yes. So my husband is way outnumbered. (laughs) He is. There's a lot of estrogen in your house. (laughs) Yes. He he basically said, hey, we got to get a big dog with cojones. Right. (laughs) Make up for it. Your own own sorority. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So, and you know, I think I'm really excited about this topic because I had a cesarean with my twins and um, I'm looking forward to a VBAC this time around. But it wasn't a planned cesarean. No, it wasn't. Okay. We did um, natural, unmedicated, but unfortunately uh, fall into the trap of failure to progress. Sure. So that's what we ended yeah. up with. Yeah, and we'll talk about that a little bit yep. more later in the show. And we have a new panelist, Veronica. Introduce yourself, please. Hi, my name is Veronica Miranda. I'm 31. I'm a graduate student in anthropology at the University of Kentucky. And my due date is April 18th, so I have a ways to go. <laughs> This is my first child, my first baby, and um, I actually have an, um, still trying to figure out what kind of birth I'm going to have. It's pro- it's probably a hospital birth, but I'm going to be doing field work in Mexico, so I have to research my options in in Mexico. So. Oh wow! Yeah. Wow. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. Okay, Rachel. I'm Rachel Gonzalez. I am 29. I am a product rep for DoTerra Essential Oils. Uh, my due date is April 10th. We will find out the sex of our number two baby um, next Friday, the October 12th. And uh, we're hoping for a home birth. We had um, a birth center water birth with my first, who's two and a half. And uh, we'll see how it goes this time. So you're first a little boy, right? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So do you have a preference now? I know it's a weighted question, but... I no, have to ask. I, um, as long as it's one or the other, yeah. we're happy. <laughs> Dr. Dr. Harkey, have you ever seen uh, an in-between? <laughs> no no aliens at this point. But. 
I think she's in good shape. She'll get one, one or the other. Okay, good, Maybe. good. Okay, thanks for joining us today, ladies. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here's a look at an article that is making headlines around the internet. This comes from, actually I got this from Circle of Moms. Are you guys familiar with that website? I love that website. It's a lot of good articles on there um, and a lot of moms talking. But this uh, headline says, Miracle Baby Thriving After Mom Quote Unquote Frozen During Pregnancy. So this is kind of interesting. Check this out. There was a 33-year-old woman. She suffered cardiac arrest when she was 20 weeks pregnant. And otherwise, she was a perfectly healthy woman. Doctors kept her and her fetus alive by cooling her to about 90 degrees Fahrenheit, which is about 9 degrees below our normal body temperature. And she was kept in this condition for 12 hours, during which her fetus was actually observed to be shivering. So I guess they did an ultrasound or something and, and saw this. Ultimately, the mom was revived and she was brought back to the normal temperature and she fully recovered. Her baby was born at 39 weeks. And uh, basically, this is an update. The article is updating the status. Um, the baby has reached a very normal development milestone and um, is over two years old. So anyways, when I saw this headline, of course, it's going to shock you like, what, mom, frozen? What is this about? Um, what do you guys think about that? Gosh, I just have to say, I think that's so cool. I mean, what a miracle of, of science that you can, I mean, help the mom and the baby. Because I think, wow, you know, who knows? Maybe 10 years ago, 20 years ago, when it what happened. What would have happened? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah Dr. Harkin, I'd love to get your take on this. Well, I, I think what we're doing is we're, we're taking some of the knowledge we already know. We, we, we've known for many years that when people experience cardiac arrest from hypothermia or for being in cold water or ice for long periods of time, that you never give up on trying to resuscitate them until their body temperature comes back to room temperature because they do much better than the people who are at normal body temperatures. Why is that? Uh, it slows your metabolic rate way down at those at those cold temperatures. Okay. Um, so you, you don't have the same uh, tissue destruction when you're when you're cold like that. Okay. So the tissue is is preserved, and that's basically what they were doing here. Uh, we're 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 seeing a lot of that now with newborns who have had. Uh, traumatic bursts where they, they're worried about brain injury. They're cooling those infants immediately. Uh, they're doing a lot of that at Rady Children's Hospital here in San Diego, uh, and it's really reducing the incidence of, uh, of of brain trauma. Really? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, some of this is still experimental, but it's 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 certainly. This is just an extrapolation, I think, of some of the other things we already know. Yeah, I, so. I, I'm, I'm very glad that this didn't harm the fetus, but that would be something that I would be concerned about. It's one thing about, you know, a woman being able to recover from that, a grown woman. Would you have any concerns about, you know, something happening to the fetus? Or? Well, I, I think I think you're going to have to see what the long-term effects of this are because yeah. oftentimes there are subtle things that we don't see until later on mm-hmm. in the developmental years. but. You know, the fact that they were able to do this successfully certainly deserves some it's attention. It's promise, right? Yeah. It seems promising. Yeah. Okay. What do you guys think, Veronica and, and Rachel? Any any thoughts on this article? Well, I just think it's really amazing. It's something that I haven't heard of before and is definitely out of the box from uh, any of the normal things you hear about. But I think it's pretty awesome that they were able to save the baby and the mom in a compromised state like that by 
you know, stepping out of the box, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think it. I think it's it's really excellent. I would just want to know how um, accessible this information is to physicians. How if this happened to somebody else somewhere else, would they know to do the same thing? Exactly. Would they know to do the same thing? And then how would they know how to do it? Yeah. How I mean, like Doctor. Yeah, I'm sure this is new stuff. That this was probably way out on a limb and. I would guess probably at one of the major university settings or yeah. big trauma units where they've had, you know, some experience with hypothermia. Yeah. All so. right. All right. Well, thank you guys for sharing this information. Today we're talking about VBACs versus repeat cesareans. And a little bit of a disclaimer, we're not trying to sway our listeners to choose one or the other. Instead, we want to talk about evidence-based care. In other words, what does the latest research tell us? Now, joining us as our special guest expert is Dr. Kelly Harkey. He's an OBGYN. He's also the medical director of Women and Newborns Care Line here in San Diego for Scripps Medical Center. So, Dr. Harkey, welcome to the show. All Glad right. Yes. What do you typically tell your patients? Because obviously you've been doing this a while. You've had a bunch of different patients come in and out. If a woman comes to you and she has had a C-section in the past and she's trying to make this decision, what's the first thing you say? Well, usually I start this dialogue very early in my relationship with a patient, especially when you do the first new OB visit and you you see the patients had a cesarean section. You want to take the appropriate history. You want to find out why they had the cesarean, how big the baby was. All the important features are going to help you guide the patient with this pregnancy. And I always start, I kind of open the the door at the first visit. And I say, you know, you're going to have some choices in this pregnancy. You're going to to have the choice of of considering just repeating a C-section if that's what you want to do. Or because of the way your cesarean section happened last time, and we can go through some of the what what is are good risk factors and uh, or what are what are risk factors for not doing another cesarean versus you know what actually improves your chances of having success with a VBAC. And I say you know the, the, the having a vaginal delivery is is probably still an option for you too. Now a lot of the patients know immediately when they're at their first visit what they want to do. Is it an educated choice or well, is it just something that they've heard or if I think it's an educated choice, then I say, well okay, that if that's what you want to do, that's fine, and we'll have this discussion as we go. And, and you know, if you change your mind, fine. Um, you know, some of them just come in and say, no, I, I want no part of labor. I had enough of it with the last one. Um, I just want my C-section. <laughs> Too posh um, to push. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I've never heard of that. That's kind of yeah. funny. <laughs> and the others say, you know, I'm very interested in having a vaginal delivery, and I feel like I missed out last time, and I really would like to commit to that. And as long as everything looks like uh, I'm a good candidate for it, then I then I would like to head that direction, and and we try to support that if if everything looks good. Yeah, Christine, let's talk a little bit about your situation and um, why you want to try for a VBAC. Let, let's talk about your background first. Sure, sure. So um, I, I have uh, twin girls, um, and I did a unmedicated uh, birth with them. So it was a twenty. 20- one hour labor oh, with them. Oh, you thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. But I, I, I kind of knew what I was going into. So, um, I, yeah, I can say it was actually, um, it was it was bearable. And so How I many think, weeks were you? I'm sorry. 
when you when you I actually birth. carried them um, full term. I delivered three days before the original due date. That's so, amazing. So Which that's what I'm learning so much more. It is it is unusual, and and I think a lot of that is just um, there are a lot of well, we'll just say perceived risks with with multiples, um, and often they are induced at earlier at 38 or you know 39 weeks. Right. Um, which I really decided I wanted to wait as long as we could. Cook them in the oven. <laughs> were, exactly. were both of the twins vertex or cephalic? Uh, let's see. And you know what? I have to admit, as a layperson, I don't know all the terms, but <laughs> head, I know they were, head down. were head down. They were both head down. Stop me when I do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were in the correct, both correct position. Okay. Yes. Uh, in, in my case, um, they ended up kind of getting wedged, and uh, one did not want to descend you know, first they were maybe being a little too polite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how how dilated did you get? Ten, before? ten so centimeters fully. Yes. And did you push? No, never, okay. never got to that point. So it, I think in in, in my case, um, I I think that it probably would have helped if you know we had someone who had maybe more experience in being able to help do some hands on maneuvering. Of course, you know we'll we'll, we'll never know for sure, but. Um, I, I would have liked to have, have done a, a vaginal birth, and I, I think the options are, and that, and that's really kind of my motivation now. Um, looking for a, a V back um, as a, having a singleton, mm-hmm. um, I really believe it's it's possible. And talking with my healthcare providers, they've been very very uh, supportive in that. Well, if you look at the if you look at the current literature, you probably have about a anywhere from a sixty to eighty percent chance of being successful with a story that you're. That you have so right, and this baby's in the great position. Yeah. So I'm, that's good news. Yes, that's really good news. Yes, yeah. So hopefully, in the next couple of days, we'll get some good news <laughs> from you. <laughs> it happened. That's what I'm hoping. It happened, um, Dr. Harkey. In your experience, why? Let's start by talking about repeat C-sections. You know, mm-hmm. and then after the break, we'll talk about V-backs. Um, why do women want um, a repeat C-section? What are some of the reasons? We talked about convenience. Right. Well, I think convenience is 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 certainly one of them. I mean, a lot of moms with with their second pregnancy usually have a smaller child running around at home that's sort of in the range of two to three years of age. And so they like the fact that they can plan the date. They can get grandma to fly out from New York. They're going to have child care all arranged and, you know, just show up on the date that, that, you, that you have planned. Um, you know, I think there's another set of women who are, are really what we call tocophobic or afraid of labor. They've either had a bad labor experience with their first one, and what they really don't want is another long labor followed by a C-section. Right. I think that's a big fear in a lot of women is, is they, they were in labor for 24, 36 hours, had a C-section. They go, the last thing I want is to be in labor for that long again sure. and end up in a C-section yeah. again. So I think a lot of them come with, with, with that sort of mindset. And the other is there's some cultural, there are some cultural reasons why people want C-sections. If you look at the Brazilian population, their C-section rate is outrageously high. Mm-hmm. And it's it's mainly because of cultural beliefs down there. And when you get those patients up here in the United States, they want what, what they get at home and they'll come in and just ask for an elective C-section. Yeah. Even with first babies. Yeah. Um, Christine, are you worried about another long labor? <sighs> Well, um, not not I wouldn't say worried, um, but I, I guess I'm taking a different approach. I mean, I've I've come to the edge, so I know what labor looks like, what it feels like. So I think mentally, emotionally, I'm much more prepared for it, and I think you know, pretty good shape physically. So, so it's not it doesn't scare me. It's, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. know. I think for me as a first time mom. 
of know, twins. You, of twins, yes. <laughs> that makes a big difference. It's, Not that anything would scare yeah. you. Now. <laughs> I, and I, I think the the unknown. It is. It is pretty scary. And so I, I, I guess I want to put the message out there that you know I, you can do it. Yeah. You really can. Yeah. So that's that gives me a quite a bit of confidence this of time around. Of course. Dr. Harkey, let's talk about some of the the benefits and the risks of having a planned repeat C-section, because I know there's a difference if it's an emergency, but let's talk about the planned repeat cesareans. Well, I, just just a, a quick aside, I think some of the best information about what we're talking about today uh, is is published in the practice bulletin by the American College uh, which say this is a group of experts who come together and try to take the best evidence right. and talk about the very issues we're talking about today. And these are available to people online. This, this is they can get to this through the through acog.org. Okay. And this particular practice bulletin is number one fifteen, and it was just redone in August of two thousand and ten. So it's fairly current information. Yeah. And we'll put that link on our website so okay. people can refer to it. I just think it's a, it's a very good reference uh, that that people have done all the work for us. Uh, they really and and this 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 practice bulletin really does support offering VBAC as an option. So the college has come out strongly uh, stating that, that that this should be available to people as an option. Um, and, and going back to the other question, which is also addressed in in this monograph, when you look at the risks of, and I think we need to compare VBAC to the planned cesarean, so we know kind of what the risk levels are. Mm-hmm. It clearly, in, in the monograph I was just talking, referring to, clearly there are some benefits to having a VBAC, and they are increased recovery time. Um, they've shown that the blood loss or the, the potential for hemorrhage is less in the VBAC uh, overall than in the C-section. Um, the you know the planned C-section, as we talked about, gives you some somewhat of a convenience factor. Um, the worst category to be in, however, in terms of complications, is attempting a VBAC and then ending up in a C-section. And Which you may not know. Well, I was going to say, it'd be wonderful <laughs> if you could know that ahead of time, right, right. but you never will. Yeah. So, And that's the problem is, is that, you know, the VBAC does have some advantages uh, clinically over the, uh, the planned cesarean section. But if you fail the VBAC, then you're in a category that has a higher complication rate. So it makes the decision-making a little more complicated. Yeah. Is it now also when it comes to repeat C-sections, I mean, as I understand it, um, the more C-sections you have, then you're also at a a greater risk as well. So if you have one C-section, then, okay, it's somewhat minimal risk. But if you have further C-sections. Yeah, that's an excellent point and and, uh, one that we should probably make. You know, every time you have a C-section, your next C-section is is a little more challenging um, from multiple directions. You, you get more scar tissue with each time you go in. Um, you have a higher chance of uterine rupture every time that you go through that same scar site. And depending on what your family planning is, if you're planning on having lots of kids or, you know, more than two, uh, every time you go in through the same incision, you increase the chances of having placenta accreta or placental issues uh, that can lead to, you know, massive hemorrhage and even death in, in, in rare cases. So you want to, the VBAC actually reduces that risk a little bit. By doing a VBAC, you kind of open the door to having safer deliveries in the future because you're not running a higher risk of having that placenta than be adherence and, and actually growing into the, the, the uterus, which it can do. Now, what if somebody 
has multiple cesareans and then decides to do a VBAC, is that an option? Does that, you know, did the risk just skyrocket at that point? Well, you guys have done your homework. Um, <laughs> you got some smart cookies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and in this paper actually refers to that too, where for a while, um, you know, people were willing to try one C-section, but two C-sections was kind of, okay, we're done. This paper really says that in certain instances in carefully selected patients, that you can still consider doing a VBAC after two cesarean deliveries. Now, your risk of uterine rupture goes from about 1% to about 4% with the second C-section. So the, the, the risk of having an event occur is higher, but as long as you have that discussion and you both agree that that risk is acceptable, um, then that is something that you could offer. Um, a lot of our data from multiple C-sections and having VBACs comes from big institutions like L.A. County General Hospital, where they would get somebody who'd had six C-sections and then roll in and would deliver the, the seventh wow. baby on the table, wow. you know, and so in they, they follow that data, you know, to look at uterine rupture, and that's where some of these numbers come so from. So it's skewed a little bit. It's, it's not... Well, they're, you know, everything's possible. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're going to have somebody who has five C-sections and can have, and have a VBAC, but that's going to be the exception to the rule. Yeah. And you're going to only really see that. Nobody's going to plan that, obviously, but you see it in some of these big centers where it just happens. And the uterus stays intact. So really, you know, everybody heals a little bit differently. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just so the numbers are what they are. They give us some guidance, but everybody's an individual and you have to kind of look at their particular risks. Yeah. Dr. Harkey, I have a question about um, actually talking to your doctor and how to talk to your doctor about, let's say, your your choices and options for um, a VBAC. So you have the medical literature out there, but then you also have to take the time for doctors to start practicing the medical literature. So how the United States still has a high cesarean rate worldwide. It's higher than the World Health Organization says is healthy. Um, So how realistic is it for you to go and sit and talk to your doctor and your doctor not pressure you? I, I think you should do exactly what we're doing at this table today. You should be informed. I mean, you should go into your doctor with some knowledge of what you want to ask and what you expect the discussion to to contain. And you guys, I mean, you guys are asking great questions today. These are the questions you should ask your doctor, too. Now, clearly, you're going to run into practitioners out there who just don't do VBACs anymore. And Why? Well, I, a lot of the times it's because they've had one bad outcome or they've had one bad lawsuit. I mean, there's a lot of pressure to deliver the perfect baby. And um, there are just practitioners now who will not go out on that limb anymore. Uh, they're just not going to take that risk. And you should probably find that out in the beginning. I mean, ask the doctor straight out, do you do VBACs? You know, if they tell you no, then you know what you're going to get. You're going to get a talk into a repeat C-section. <laughs> All right. I think some of the bigger groups like Scripps Clinic, which I belong to, uh, we're trying to practice ethical medicine. We try to do uh, what we think is right for the patient. And we've set up our practice such that we always have two doctors. And at nighttime, we have a, two doctors and a midwife always in the hospital so that there's always someone there to attend to an emergency like a uterine rupture. The other thing you're going to encounter in some of the smaller communities are hospitals that have just stopped doing VBACs, period. They just won't allow them. And you need to know that, too, because you may have a doctor who would do a VBAC but he's taking you to a hospital. Well, you can't. And again, those are for, for due to legal pressures. They're due to the fact that they don't have the appropriate personnel in the hospital to respond to you immediately if something bad happens, like a uterine rupture. So it's a great question, and you really want to get 
upfront with your doctor from the very beginning because you don't want to find that out at 36 weeks that, 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 you know, you thought you were having a VBAC and guess what? There's no protocols in that hospital to allow that to happen. Mm -hmm. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we are going to explore more about VBACs. We're going to talk about some of the benefits and the risks associated with VBACs. We'll be right back. All right, and we're back. Today we're talking with Dr. Kelly Harkey. He's an OBGYN at Scripps La Jolla. And we are talking about whether you should have a repeat C-section or go for VBAC. So, Dr. Harkey, what types of women are good candidates? What makes you a good candidate for a VBAC now? Well, when, when looking at the history of as to why the cesarean section happened the first time, um, it gives you some clues as to uh, how successful you might be with a VBAC. And the the, the biggest probability of success that are strong predictors of being successful are uh, are there's two that that, that that kind of stand out. One is is that you've had a prior vaginal birth in addition to your C-section. Those those women tend to do very well because they've already have sort of a proven pelvis, if you will. And the other is is that if you if you can at all have it happen, and again some of this is out of your control, is you want to come in in spontaneous labor with your VBAC because it gives you a much higher uh, chance of being successful uh, with rather than, than, than induction. Uh, things that are not good predictors are uh, uh, the fact that your first cesarean section happened from a dystocia, that is pelvis too small, baby too big. Um, that, that sort of, it doesn't rule out VBAC, but it, it, it's, it's better if you had the first C-section for breach uh, or a, a fetal tracing issue that you never really got to try your pelvis, right. so you don't really know, you know, whether the dimensions are. Yeah, because your pelvis probably isn't going to change. I mean, I know it kind of expands a little bit, but at the same time, it's pretty much what you got. Exactly. <laughs> and, and How it, common is that? How common is it for you to have a small pelvis and a big baby? I mean, uh, well, I mean, it's all relative. I mean, it, we always talk about the the three P's in, in obstetrics. It's it's the passenger, the pelvis, and the power, and um, <laughs> the, the passenger you really can't you really can't change the weight of the passenger. It is what it is. The pelvis is a fixed dimension as well. So in a labor process, the only thing that I have any control over is is the power. That is is the labor adequate to try and keep things moving. Um, and you know you can have a woman with a good pelvis. If she's got a 10-pound baby, there could still be a dystocia or an inability to get that kid through that. And then she could have an 8-pound baby next time and do very well with that. And you see that sometimes. You'll see a baby that's asynclitic coming at a weird angle or too big on the first time around. And then the second time they make it look easy with a little bit smaller baby or one who comes through the pelvis, you know, in the right sort of the right angles that you need. But isn't it hard to tell, like, how big your baby really is? I mean, even it's, with the ultrasounds it's, and stuff. It's very difficult with the technology that we use today. The ultrasounds, at term, can be off plus or minus a pound. Um, so yeah. they're a guess. I mean, as an obstetrician, we, we haven't done so well in the literature either guessing. But, um, you know, oftentimes you can tell, is this a really small baby or is this a really big baby? And it's the babies in between that you have trouble with the guessing in. Yeah. But sometimes it's very clear with ultrasound and, you know, outside measurements that you go, wow, this kid, this kid's clearly over, you know, 4,500 grams, and, and we got an issue here. Right. right. Um, but let me go back to the uh, the other predictors that are that are, are decreased probability of success, uh, statistically include increased maternal age, uh, non-white ethnicity, 
Um, gestational age, it's gone past 40 weeks. So if you go past your due date, that decreases your chances of having successful VBAC as well. Why? Why does that? Um, probably, I, I'm not sure. I'm not I probably is a placental sufficiency thing. That is, as the placenta gets older, it's just not going to tolerate labor as well. And also probably because there's probably a reason that you haven't gone into labor earlier, that maybe there's a, a size, you know, pelvis uh, dissociation again. Um, of obesity is a is a risk factor for not doing well with VBAC. Uh, history of preeclampsia or blood pressure issues. Um, short short intervals between pregnancies, and I'm not really sure why, but statistically, if you have your kids close together, you have a less chance of having a successful VBAC. And then uh, increased neonatal birth weight, which we've already talked about. Okay. What are the odds if we, um, you know, seem to be a, a good candidate for a VBAC, what, what are the odds that we'll have a successful VBAC? Well, there have been a lot of studies done, obviously. And, and when you sort of take the, the overall sort of range that the studies show you, um, pretty much the, the, it's between about 60 and 80% success rate if you're a good candidate. Okay. So, it sounds good, Christine. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm hope. Yep. <laughs> you know, and I, and I think I'll have to say one of the things I'm I'm doing this time around differently is that um, when I had my twins, um, you know, I've, since then I've learned so much that mobility and movement really helps. You know, get babies moving, going down. So the last time around, I was pretty much sitting on a hospital bed the entire time, yeah. which really doesn't help. So so this time in my birth plan. I'm really planning on getting up, walking around, moving around, using a birthing ball, taking as many proactive measures as I can to really help the babies move. So I'm uh, really hoping we'll have a different outcome. You think that that could help, Dr. Harkey? Well, I, as you know, I'm married to a midwife. so <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, I didn't tell our listeners, but yeah, you, you probably have and, a different perspective and, on this. And I watched, I watched her uh, have both of our children, or the, my, my, my two youngest children, naturally. And she used all of those techniques quite successfully. So, And I've watched a lot of patients use them. I, I think that all patients should, should use the techniques that they're comfortable with. All support, I think, is good support. Um, I, I hope you do very well. Thanks. So. <laughs> In general, Dr. Harkey, what advice do you have for women out there that are kind of on the fence, that are trying to determine which one to pursue? Well, again, I, I always, I never try to make decisions for my patient. I don't, yeah. I don't think that's my place. My place is to provide them with as much information as I can, answer their questions, let them choose, and then be very supportive of whatever it is they've they've chosen. Nothing is set in stone here. I mean, you. A lot, of, a lot of women will do that. At the very last minute, they'll decide they want to go one way or the other. We've had people who have had their C-section scheduled for next week, and they come in in great labor. They're six centimeters, and you go, do you really want a C-section? You're halfway there. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and, and some of them say, yeah, I, I guess I'll do it now, and they do fine, you know, and, and you'll have just the opposite. The people planning that VBAC will go, I've changed my mind. I want my C-section. Yeah. So it goes both ways, and I think that, you know, you have to let them do that, too, is have that last-minute decision-making change if they want it, and just be supportive of, of, 
of whatever they want to do, and your job is to provide them with the information to make that decision. Okay. Thank you, guys. This was a great conversation, and thanks to Dr. Harkey for being with us today. Of course, there's so much more to discuss when deciding whether a VBAC or a repeat C-section is best for you. So we'll be continuing this discussion online on our Facebook page and also through Twitter. If you are posting to Twitter, be sure to use the hashtag PreggyBells. Before we wrap today's show, here's a question for one of our experts. Hey, Preggy Pals. This is Paula from Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. And I have a quick question about drinking alcohol during pregnancy. Before I got pregnant, my husband and I really liked having a glass of wine with dinner or while we're sitting relaxing watching TV. And I don't have that glass of wine anymore, but really there's so much information out there with different opinions from different experts about benefits of having maybe an occasional glass of wine while I'm pregnant. So really, I just want to know what the real information is. Are there any health benefits to drinking wine or to having any other types of alcohol during pregnancy? Thanks. Hi, Paula. This is Dr. Captain Hawkins. I just wanted to thank you for your uh, question. It's a great question. Uh, It is quite controversial. I'll let you know what the current recommendation by the American Congress of uh, OBGYN stance is. They currently say no alcohol during pregnancy. The big question is, we don't know how much alcohol is needed to cause a condition called fetal alcohol syndrome. Uh, That condition is uh, very devastating, and we don't know what level of alcohol can cause it. So the current recommendations, again, uh, here in the U.S. by ACOG is no alcohol. Having said that, you are correct. There are several European studies. Uh, that have said there may be some benefits to an occasional glass of wine. There's a French study that says there may be a decreased rate in um, ADHD in sons born to women who have an occasional glass of wine. Having said that, because of the fact that nobody is really going to do a blind, randomized study and give women alcohol and then test the effects on their children, in the U.S., again, the current recommendation is no alcohol. I hope that helps. I hope you have a great pregnancy. And if you have any questions, give us a call. Thank you so much. Bye. If you have a question for one of our experts, call the Preggy Pals hotline at 619-866-4775. And we'll answer your question on a future episode. That wraps up our show for today. If you have a question or comment about our show, we would love to hear it. And for our regular listeners, don't forget to check out the Preggy Pals Club. You can learn all about it on our website, which is preggypals.com. All right, coming up next week, we're continuing our ongoing series focused on childbirth preparation methods, and we are focusing on the Bradley method. So thank you for listening to Preggy Pals, your pregnancy, your way. This has been a new mommy media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of New Mommy Media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. Hey, mamas. 
Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.